Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron, and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR, online hangouts with the Rebel Force Radio crew, and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, makers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. We're busted. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. Lies, deception, every day more lies. Yes, these words may be familiar to fans of Saw Gerrera, but they could be proclaimed by anyone who may have had dealings with the evil Galactic Empire, even those who are its most loyal servants. This week on Star Wars Rebels Declassified, we see things through Imperial eyes and discover all the backstabbing and treachery that comes with the life of a rebel mole working within the Empire as Agent Callus continues his ruse and takes down anyone who gets too close to discovering the truth. And that list keeps getting longer. Hey, Star Wars Rebels fans, and welcome to this edition of Declassified. I'm Jimmy Mack, and joining me this week to also see through Imperial eyes is filmmaker Kyle Newman. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You know, Jason, again, couldn't make it this week. He has so much going on with the Cleveland Playhouse Square Theater. They're expecting Hamilton and uh, the tickets uh, for that particular season have just gone on sale. Jason, of course, works in marketing uh, there with the Cleveland Playhouse Square. So he's had to miss the last few weeks of Rebel Force Radio. But I didn't want this week to go by without something for our listeners. So uh, we scrambled to get the A-team together, myself, Kyle Newman, and Paul Bateman. Paul had to bail at the very last minute. But Kyle, you always have so much to say about Star Wars and Star Wars Rebels, I figure, what the heck, we'll easily be able to fill up an episode of Declassified, just the two of us. Oh, we can do that. And, you know, I'm glad to be talking about this episode. I, as you know, am a huge fan of the Thrawn trilogy. Yes. Uh, Its importance, its significance in the legacy and lexicon of Star Wars is, I feel, incalculable. You know, what those books did back in the day um, really revitalized and saved the brand in a lot of ways. Uh, it may have even awakened George, not the books themselves, not the content, but the idea that it connected on, on the level it did, the uh, attention that it garnered. 
and the excitement. And I think that galvanized George, you know, moving into the 90s, uh, into the later 90s and, and moving forward with the prequels and, and it changed the direction of how Star Wars was was marketed, uh, the, the levels with which we received it, the formats, uh, the volume of product, all of that was, was sprung forth by this venture into publishing with, with Timothy Zahn and, um, you know, anchored by the villainous Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was a wonderful new character in the uh, pantheon of Star Wars, um, you know, villains. And I think seeing him here on Rebels, at first it took a lot for me to get used to, mm-hmm. you know, but I'd say this is, he's finally kind of settled into his own in a, in a way where I uh, see his role in this series and not just like a nostalgic throwback to be bringing him in. He is firing on all cylinders as the Thrawn uh, that we knew and loved and almost, almost frustrating because Thrawn, you're always like, how does that guy know that? He makes these improbable <laughs> conjectures. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and true to form, he's doing it again in this episode, but it's true to form because it was always like, really? All right, I guess, but that's his character. That was always this one jumping of the shark with him per book. You know, it was this one improbable calculation assumption based on someone's like, uh, their, their shading of a, <laughs> of the chin on somewhere animals aren't. And he'd be like, that means they're going to attack the Sluisman shipyard, you know? Yeah. And uh, here you see it with the Lothcat. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and I had uh, predicted this as soon as Thrawn came on the scene this season, seeing that you have a character who's among the crew of the ghosts, Sabine, who is an artist, you knew that sooner or later that aspect of, of Thrawn's personality and strategy would come into play where in in the uh, Thrawn novels he always studied the artwork of his opponent to learn about maybe find a weakness in there or find some little tidbit of information that would give him the upper hand in battle and finally we see it in this episode he's studying the artwork of Sabine and that gives him the connective tissue to tie everything together and realize that there has been a ruse and and Callus is the man who's been supplying uh, the, the rebels with their information but that's we're jumping to the end of the episode let's let's uh, start off with the very beginning of it as a matter of fact I have to pull up the tail of the tape uh, Last week, I got on Swank's case for starting the episode without giving all the proper stats. So I am now rushing to get to uh, Wikipedia. Here it is. This is Star Wars Rebels Season 3, Episode 17, with the original air date of February 25th, 2017. Directed by Saul Ruiz and uh, written by Nicole Dubuck with uh, assistance from the always reliable Henry Gilroy. Nicole, as you may remember, was the writer of the episode Hera's Heroes. And uh, this episode is Through Imperial Eyes. So let's get right into it. The the episode begins with a first-person point of view, first-person perspective, as uh, Callus. As we learn, it's Callus. He's in his quarters, and we learn it's him because he looks into the mirror. And so judging by the title... Through Imperial Eyes. I got really excited by this intro. I was like, wow, we're really going to see a whole episode through the perspective of a character. And that's something Star Wars has never done before. But they quickly pulled away from that. And as Filoni revealed in Rebels Recon, they just don't have the time in their production schedule to really hash out how that would all work. And uh, so, Kyle, you're a, a filmmaker. Uh, what, what are the, the main restrictions of uh, telling a story from first-person point of view? 
when I, when I saw that and I heard Dave even talk about it on the recon, I was very, it's fascinating because, um, it narratively, it changes, obviously uh, information is passed back and forth in cutting. You see what, um, the person you see over the shoulder or you'll see point of view, or it'll be like a dirty over where you just get a little bit out of focus of a person. Sometimes they're both sharing the frame and a two shot and they're communicating and then you have blocking and someone's moving around. And then you can also, you can do, um, spatially, uh, an audience learns a lot about relationships, who's dominating a frame, where they are in the frame, how they're moving. Uh, if the frame itself isn't moving, if it's very static and heavy, as opposed to if it's languid and floating, it says a lot about how you're supposed to feel. So if you lock yourself into a POV, which means you're just, the camera is on the face of the character, you're locking into a very clear visual style and one that you're you have to fully commit to so narratively information would flow differently you're not getting information from the reaction per se of of callus mm-hmm. if you commit to that you're never seeing his eyes his face you're never seeing him look away you're never seeing him um be clever it, you're seeing him be, you'd see him be clever and and swipe the cylinders in a pov way but you wouldn't necessarily see him generating the idea on his face and you wouldn't see his his reaction to Ezra like, wait, you're not here to warn me. You're here right. to rescue me or take pull me out of here. So if we're considering Callus to be the protagonist in this episode, do we lose his perspective when we're seeing it from his perspective? Because what he's seeing is how everyone else well, is what reacting. What you gain, yes. So it's an interesting way to pursue that. Because a lot of this episode is about trust, and it is about POV, but if you commit to that, then when he turns away and leaves the room, say at the end of the episode, and you are you then privileged to see the Ularan Thrawn um, analysis conversation mm-hmm. where they finally deduce that it's callous as fulcrum? Um, no, you'd probably that if you commit to that, you'd leave on with with him thinking that everything's good and walking out. But because you, the ability to cut out of, you know, on, on a normal narrative uh, unfolding story, you can then go to different things. You can shape time differently. Um, if you commit to a POV nonstop, it, it is, it's, it's experimental. It's not something that's really common in narrative. I, I was even surprised when I saw the opening shot committing to that mm-hmm. uh, because it's just atypical for the language, the visual language of the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, it's George established a very uh, objective, mythic kind of style where you step back a bit. You know, he's not really pushed in on lots and lots of close-ups. I mean, they're there to accent and punctuate. So so with that being said, Kyle, with that being said, would this have its place as if they ever tried to do a full POV episode? Would that have its place within Star Wars? Or has it already been sort of ruled a little bit too outside of the, the way of visually telling a story? Well, I think between what the ground they've broken on Clone Wars in terms of the types of stories you can tell, in terms of the the, the tones and the genres that Star Wars can encompass. Uh, I think then that being extrapolated through what they've done with Rebels, I 
I think the animation format is a great place for it. I'd never want to see it in the feature. I mean, it's jarring in itself to see. There's very few features that are released that are done full POV. Right. There was a recent one, I believe, with was it Elijah Wood. I didn't see it, but I saw the trailer for it um, where he plays this um, mentally insane killer or something. I, I, it was, I remember it was a few years ago. It was dark. But it's like you, you rarely see – um, a big movie even like uh, commit to it. Maybe you'll see scenes within it, but to do a full episode is that'd be pretty brash. Um, but this would be the format to do it. And I think 22 minutes could sustain it, but it'd be interesting to hear the reasons why they opted not to. And he said early in the process. So maybe in the first pass of the script, they tried that. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you, you then you're forcing information into it to learn it to make sure the audience gleans it because you're only seeing what callus sees right right and a lot of this episode is about the the intellectual cat and mouse the stuff you see going on with they're they're these are very astute and knowledgeable wise clever cunning uh imperials you've got governor price you've got thrawn you've got Yularen, mm-hmm. and, and like Yularen is the head of this program, and I like that. They're all intelligent. Maybe List isn't that sharp, but for the most part, the upper hierarchy of Imperials that we are, you know, granted the ability to get to know in this series, all are relatively intelligent. We know that the Emperor himself is as cunning and ruthless and exacting as any character you've seen in in cinema, especially villains. I mean, that guy is perceptive and he needles and nothing gets past him and i think all these characters are are are, are quite clever and thrawn being um exceptionally to deny us that um that cutaway to him to see what how he's operating in this cat and mouse might have done a disservice to the the greater picture of what they're trying to tell here what like this cat and mouse back and forth and and ultimately callus thinks he has the upper hand but you need to know that the other character has the upper hand and you only do that by in a sense cutting away being privileged to see what they have discovered by callus's actions so i think all in all the um the decision to part ways with that you know narrative Mm -hmm. um it probably, you know, gimmick, it probably, probably benefited the, episode, benefited yeah. the story. For that sure. said, I'd love to see that in in Rebels. I just don't know if we're going to. It feels like this thing is ramping up. It feels like there's not much – like, not that there isn't much rumor can go, but it feels like they've chosen to build it towards a place that's maybe got a season or two more. Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to see those side episode jaunts you know, um, like we did in, in Clone Wars because this – is narratively building in a way that Clone Wars never did. It's what I always wanted with Clone Wars. And I think they're doing a, a pretty good job of it. I think they could still decompress more. So let's get into the episode itself. Um, it begins with uh, the Empire capturing a shuttle that uh, uh, blasted its way out of Lothal. And uh, as the stormtroopers are in there searching the ship, they, uh, they present to Callus. Ezra Bridger is the pilot, but he's uh, he's uh, disguised as a bounty hunter. However, they do remove his helmet, and it's clearly Ezra. So Callus takes him over to the detention cell. Uh, you have to imagine there's uh, all sort of cameras in, in every corner to watch your moves on board these ships. So for Ezra to remove his helmet, uh, I, I, it just... 
it would be too easy, I think, for the Empire to realize that they had a rebel amongst their ranks, especially one that has caused so many problems like Ezra Bridger. Why is it important, Kyle, for to specifically send Ezra on this mission? Why couldn't they have just sent someone else? Um, I agree with you. And that's one of those narrative conveniences uh, to make the thing work. Also, isn't it just easier to send a message since they have that form of communication rather than infiltrating a ship, having guys dress up as stormtroopers, getting the proper codes, flying a Tidarium shuttle-esque vehicle in. Uh, isn't it better to just say, hey, next time you're planet side or take a shuttle down to the planet and then we'll pull you out there rather than getting thrown in the brig on a ship just to deliver a message? It's a, That was a little bit of, um, you know, it, it was asking a lot of me okay, that's the easiest way to set this up. I mean, it's the most dangerous way you could possibly ever deliver a message. Um, <laughs> Let's pick the hardest way. I'm going to deliver this, this message to a police officer, but first I'm going to get arrested, get in jail, and then whisper in his ear, and then make him get me out. Or even worse, it's um, almost like I'm going to walk into the police department smoking a joint with a, you know, holding a sidearm. You know, and it, maybe get shot down on my way in. <laughs> that is the most, now that's something I'd even consider. Is how it was very cavalier setup on the part of the rebels. And they're normally more discreet and cautious. They know how much they're watching and they don't really push that many buttons. It just felt a little a little too much there. And then also you're talking about the cameras. This was just my only two gripes was that set up. And then the fact that, uh, Callus walks into plain view of these quad cameras mm-hmm. all over and then deactivates them. Right. And based on my knowledge of security cameras, well, you just go back to the point, someone cut it off, you get a warning, <laughs> someone cut off the security. And then you'd look at the last face staring at you and you'd go up, oh, there's my criminal. There you go. So you'd normally shut it down before you walk down the hall. It's still it's still the same visual way of conveying it. He does it at the end of the hall. They turn off, and we see them go off, and then he walks into the space they monitor. Uh, it's just a better way of of doing it, and it really doesn't require anything more out of your 22 minutes to do it that way. You're still showing the cameras turn off. Um, it's just where he turns them off. So that stuff, little things like that, obviously <laughs> – uh, Let me stand me? right in front of this camera to turn it off. <laughs> They'll never know it yeah. was me. But no, you bring up a right. really good point. And then point. there's cameras all over the ship. All over the place. Because you know and, Big Brother is um, watching there on the Empire. It's- Doesn't Thrawn have um, a security cam in his office? Wouldn't he just looked at the camera to see who came in? What is it? The Salamiri? Sal- uh, what are those uh, lizard creatures? Oh, the Salamiri? The Salamary. Those are there's those statues behind his desk. They say they're Salamary. Yeah, there's all kinds so of So are, are, are they Salamary as we know them? Are they finally integrating them into this? And that the, all that stuff's that's fascinating. I wonder with the Thrawn book coming out, mm-hmm. um, how much more we're going to learn about uh, what's carried over from the the EU that was expelled back on on the the death day of the eu like everything they killed obviously it's great they have the freedom now to pull back what they want integrated how they feel it best works without being shoehorned Mm -hmm. and you know how much are they pulling in i think we're going to know uh based on that thrawn book and they've mentioned many times that uh zahn's been part of 
this. He's had conversations with Dave and stuff. He's writing a book. So uh, it's cool that we're seeing those little visual tidbits. So I, I, I'd be interested to see how much is pulled back in. But I'm, I'm glad that that was not completely wiped away. It's still a, a far better series of books than the Aftermath stuff, which supplanted it. Yes. And um, man, those are bad. I wouldn't <laughs> wish to Just. Wow, well, you know, um, um, if you're going to compare them to *Heir to the Empire*, I'd have to agree with you. Well, I have to. You have to. And the Thrawn trilogy did really seem to seamlessly fit into what we knew existed as the Star Wars story at that time, the Star Wars saga. It, it it fit in just like a perfect puzzle piece at the time. Look at these characters. We're getting Thrawn in this at the forefront of Star Wars storytelling. 2017, decades later, it's because the character endured. Well drawn, well written, scary. My son saw he's watching the episode with me and Thrawn pops up on screen and he hears the music and the cue and the environment and he's like, That guy's mean. Turn mm-hmm. the channel. <laughs> you know, he's like a little afraid of him. And about to he's like, No, no, keep it on. Like he's drawn in. And they do a really good job of making him an engaging villain. And I, I didn't love the way he was first presented in this. I, I, it was slow for me to adapt to his voice. Um but I think uh I've settled into the psychology of the character and that's the best we're going to get. Like I think they've, um, they've taken the best and they've encapsulated it into this new incarnation. And, and I accept that. And I like it. And that's, what's, that's, what's great about the show. Dave and these guys, man, they get it. They really, they get it. I sure would like to see some sort of reinstatement for the classic Thrawn trilogy. And I totally get what you're saying. As a matter of fact, a lot of people do, Kyle. They've bought billboards in California, for crying out loud, to, uh, to uh, let, let people know that, that they want the old expanded universe to find life in this current age of Star Wars storytelling. And I think that, yeah, there is a lot of that stuff that should be officially reincorporated into the saga. And the Thrawn trilogy is at the top of my list. So, Well, I don't think we're going to get it reintegrated, but I do think you're going to get these um, uh, homages, and this is the best we're going to get. And I, and I don't want, at this point, it's done, it's done. I don't want them back. Uh, moving forward, I do want a narrative cohesive synergistic i love that we're getting a thrawn book um it was all part of a great plan get him back on the show tie it in you get a whole season now we have this book coming and we can then reintroduce the best of what was out of that era and that era those guys were largely flying blind guys like timothy's on uh they didn't have story group in a room and he threw ideas by George. George nicked some ideas that don't talk about this, talk about this, let's go here, just don't go there. Um, He didn't know what he was going to write. So he just carved out huge areas. Um, And so Thrawn just did the best, I mean, Zahn just did the best he could with what he knew. And it was, um, it was a wild west back then in a sense. And we're in a new era and that's fine. I think it should all be tied together. I love that there's a Thrawn book coming. I love that it ties into Rebels. And I think they're going to take the best of Thrawn and bring it back. Uh, because you have these really intelligent guys writing the show and really smart and passionate, passionate people making the show. And that, uh, is evident in, you know, every frame of it. You know, one thing you should do is go on Twitter Go right to Joel Aaron and tell him uh, and his team like how great the visual effects and the lighting. Oh, the best! That's that's his team. These, this mm-hmm. episode looks 
it, it's beautiful. The work they're doing is absolutely beautiful. And those guys don't get the kind of um, the credit that they deserve. The and credit Joel, that they're doing. Joel Aaron is definitely a, a visionary in the in the field. And, and the only reason that I would in, encourage people to pat him on the back is because he's just such a great guy. He really is such a great guy. But uh, all right, let's get back into this. Uh, yeah. This. Uh, episode here we're reintroduced to lieutenant list did you remember him from season two absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. He, so he was involved with that that incident with uh princess leia stealing the hammerheads as a matter of fact he took the hit for that if you'll remember yep. this is you know leia was still putting up the front that she was loyal to the empire and the senate and everything else and uh meanwhile uh, working list like a puppet, and uh, and you then, see Callus. You know when he mentions that, you see Callus make note of that, and you know it's going to come back later. I mean, that's just a testament to how um, you know narratively efficient they are. Like that little thing, and he says something like, "Yes, you will." Or just, you know, there's a little bit where you know, okay, where's he going with this? But you know, just that screw up on his part list way back then is going to be more fuel to the fire when he throws him under the bus in this episode. And so everything's tying together, even callbacks to other seasons. List gets screwed over probably more than any other Star Wars character when you think about it. He's just a regular guy doing his job. He's pretty competent. But uh, Princess Leia throws him under the bus in season two. And boy, does he really get screwed over by uh, his buddy Callus in this episode. Uh, so they cruise into Thrawn's quarters. This is the first time we go into Thrawn's quarters in Rebels. We were in Thrawn's quarters a lot during Heir to the Empire when he would be, if you remember in the Dark Horse comics, they would show Thrawn and he'd be sitting in a big chair and he'd be surrounded by holographic artwork and he'd be studying that and he'd have the Nogri there with him. And as a matter of yeah. fact, did you catch that um, when, when Thrawn issued the code word to shut down the, the dark trooper assassin droids he was training with. He said, Rook and Rook was the name of the Nogri who was Thrawn's bodyguard in the heir to the empire trilogy. So I thought that was kind of neat. I didn't, I, it didn't jump at me because the way he said it was kind of like, you know, it it didn't jump at me. It's like, Oh, that's, that's an Easter egg. I I had to read it online. Other, uh, more, more intelligent, uh, fans found that before I did, but I thought it was very cool that, uh, there was that, at least that little nod to Zahn's original trilogy. I have a question. Did you ever know exactly what those cylinders did that the Imperials carry around in their uh, breast pocket? Oh, that's a great question because I thought at first they were vaping and that was their little vape pens. But (laughs) no, as it turns out, those Imperial code cylinders, we finally, finally get to see what their purpose is in this episode. They almost work like um, USB uh, sticks in a way or uh, identification uh, that's how they yeah, they're also like access. portable phone chargers. They can plug their phones into them. We're out for the day at Disneyland. If you're like, oh, I'm getting low. Let me plug into my cylinder here. I have one of those things. It's a, it's a, a lightsaber. It looks like a lightsaber hilt. But um, when I plug into it and it's charging my phone, it, like, it gets really warm, like in my pocket. I almost feel like it's burning a little bit. So they might want to take a look at that, Mimco. Um, <laughs> but those, those code cylinders, they finally have a purpose. And they put them in the same ports that R2-D2 would always access. And as we see in Rebels, Chopper always accesses. They always plug into those ports. Well, now we see those ports have 
another purpose. So that's, uh, you know, getting the information off those imperial code cylinders. So Yeah, so R2 basically has one on the tip of one of his um, auxiliary arms. <laughs> or as Billy D would call it, his appendage. So I've got a question. Yeah. you got uh, Chopper. Yeah. And we've seen him over the past two seasons vacillate between his traditional coloring and his imperial coloring. Yes. Does he have like a big fat head sticker that they just slap <laughs> on him? Like those wall stickers. It's like, like a, how does he do it? They re-decal him or they repaint him and then they clean him off again? Is it? It's like those giant decals they put on the bus, you know? Yeah. And AP5, that, I love that droid. I wonder, it's maybe maybe AP5 cool. is the guy who takes him in there. It's like an Earl Scheib. They take him in there and they apply all the, the, the coats of paint to him and he comes out looking. Uh, and, then, and then he might as well just keep it on all the time because he looks much more spiffy. In uh, with that paint paint job as opposed to his normal paint job, I think, because whenever he comes back, he's always like greasy and dirty, and just that orange looks kind of worn out and stuff. It's just I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but um, yeah. or or maybe no, that's too much. I was thinking maybe there's another chopper that they just they take the chopper's memory and they put it in this one. But I mean, why, why do all the work? <laughs> <laughs> this is a yeah definitely we're we're really digging deep now but so well it's those things I, it's just it's it's he's always got a different out he always easily infiltrates and i'm just wondering and obviously ap is an ex-imperial droid but tropper uh he probably isn't even like a customary model we know he's like an older model mm-hmm. so um with all that infiltration he's doing you know he's going undercover on these stealth missions Maybe maybe the crew of the ghost would apply a little WD-40 to that squeaky wheel of his so everyone doesn't know he's coming around the corner all the time. <laughs> he's also done it so many times. Like, the Imperials aren't like, be on the lookout for this jerk droid. This squeaky wheel. He's done it 14 times to us in 30 different missions. This droid has duped us with his costume change. Chopper was pretty well behaved. In, and focused in this episode. He wasn't going off on any jag-off moments. He didn't freak out about anything. He was actually he very back. Yeah, nope. I noticed that, too. I was, I was just – I had that written down. Like, Chopper's pretty chill in this episode. He's a chill chop. Yeah. So, so uh, it, but I just couldn't help but notice that squeaky wheel, especially when they were leaving Thrawn's office. It was just squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> Hard to make a, a sneaky getaway with that going on. But let's talk about Thrawn's office for a second because there are so many cool Easter eggs in there. First thing you see is the, the Holy Grail, Jesus' chalice from the Last Supper. There it is from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Now it's in Thrawn's office. Which is kind of cool because in Clone Wars, if you remember, in, in season two, in that Jar Jar Binks episode that was voiced by B.J. Hughes, didn't they f- show the, the Ark of the Covenant being loaded onto uh, a shuttle at one point? So now they have the uh, Holy Grail. Yep. So it's, it's only a matter of time before they get that jewel-crusted cross from Coronado. It belongs in a museum! <laughs> Well, that iconography is going to be tricky to get into. <laughs> you think so? Uh, squeeze in here. Well, you know, maybe maybe Kanan can say it belongs in a museum. Uh, something else that belongs in a museum. Well, actually, I've seen this, and uh, I, I think I've seen it in several collections, including that of Rancho Obi-Wan, is Clone Commander Gree's helmet from uh, Revenge of the Sith is is there on a little, uh, little pedestal. Oh, that's – oh, I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. I heard um, Killian – 
Plunkett was talking about it in Rebels Recon. And he noted that they had a clone helmet there in Thrawn's quarters, but they decided, well, let's do something with it. Let's do something special with it. So they just gave it the same paint job Gree had because they, I think they, the rationale was you don't really see that sort of paint scheme on any other clone trooper's helmet. So it would stand out as being Gree's. But the, the rationale for why... Why Gree? Why Gree? Why Thrawn would have that helmet? That's uh, that's a story yet to be told, I guess. That's cool. Um, uh, I, yeah, maybe it's a step too far to say they're going to get into that in his book, but that is cool. Mm. That would be cool. And then now you have – so you have a tie-in to the Clone Wars era, and then you get a tie-in into the Force Awakens era where one of the busts is uh, – it looks very similar to Elo Asti from the Force Awakens. He's – a creature called an abinetto. Abinetto. I think I'm saying that right. Abinetto. It's very hard to say that word. But I, I don't ever recall seeing that sort of creature in any kind of uh, original trilogy setting. So here we're seeing it uh, in uh, Thrawn's quarters. And uh, what else? Oh, we mentioned the Salamary, which were up there in that uh, sculpture on the wall. But probably the coolest thing is... Um, uh, there's some Ralph McQuarrie art hanging up in in Thrawn's quarters. Did you catch that? The McQuarrie art? Yes. Yeah, that, that's a little weird to me, but I'll go with it. It's the first time they've actually lifted like actual McQuarrie art and put it into the show, as opposed to basing designs influenced by Ralph's art. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Some of that stuff's been so... Uh, published and it's been readily available for a long time that it's see it reappropriated it just takes me out of it a little bit oh does uh, it does it it doesn't for me because he's studying lothal so much and the, the so the original the original artwork by ralph was created for the 1996 book he did with kevin j anderson the illustrated star wars universe and in that book there are um paintings ralph did of the grass fields of alderaan and those big mounds are called Killick Mounds. That's what Kevin J. Anderson named them. And so you see them there, but that artwork was actually then reused for Rebels and turned into Lothal. So now, as far as canon goes, that's Lothal and not Alderaan. I don't know if you knew this. You probably knew this. Yeah. Because you read all those books, right? You those, read yep. every book that came out in the 90s. I don't think there's a single Star Wars book that came out from the year 1980 to 2010 that I didn't just pour through, you know? Yep. You're uh, right. And it's uh, there's that, that consumption. And so it, we're so familiar with it, and we know the stories behind it, and it's repurposing um, – and then to see it in its native form, is, it, it's a touch jarring. But I don't know if it's done for economic reasons. Um, so. What, uh, what did you think about that sequence when Thrawn was training with the assassin droids? I mean, obviously, I think it's important to have that in there because it, it foreshadows his uh, showdown with them later in the episode and gives you a reason to believe that he has the capabilities to handle them in a brawl because he'd been training with them. 
Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's just like it's just um, shows how economical they are on the show. They set it up. You, you get a sense of how badass he is. And then later on, it's not just a one off thing. Uh, Callus is clever and uses him against him for 22 minutes. They really weave something that um, stands on its own. And, and I think it's it's not easy to do the efficiency they they display and so bringing the droids back was great and clever and um and once it happened you're like oh obvious but i wasn't thinking oh my god he's gonna bring those droids back later and use them against him you know yeah yeah so that was a surprise and uh sometimes rebels can be at least in my opinion it can come off as a little predictable but using those droids against Thrawn was something I totally wasn't expecting and I thought was very cool. And uh, I also liked the fact that Thrawn left the door open so they would see him training with these droids. And kind of it, it's, it's something that he does to really boost his reputation, I think, to say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm cunning, I'm intelligent, but I also have combat skills to match. So he becomes a much more formable and compelling villain, in my opinion, just by the knowledge that he can handle himself. And he trains regularly with these assassin droids. I think it's awesome. It's a nice new twist that we didn't get in right. the, in the Zion. We didn't know that. That's yeah, a we new didn't know twist. how capable he was in physical combat. Man, his shins must be hurting kicking, uh, kicking those robots. Ouch. Maybe he has on padding underneath. Ouch. Yeah, but still kicking robots. So he's in there. They're trying to figure out everything going on with uh, Fulcrum. Who's Fulcrum? Callus, meanwhile, is behind the scenes uh, basically manipulating List while Ezra. How do they know the name Fulcrum? I forget that. What's that? How do they know, do the, they name know the name Fulcrum? Fulcrum? How do they know that the agent calls himself? Did they intercept something? They're, I might yeah. have missed that. It's like, are they privy to his code name? Well, they did say at the beginning of the episode that. Well, they. I know they are privy, but how are they privy? That's what I might have missed, or I'm forgetting where exactly that information in the past two seasons was introduced to the Imperials data file on the spy that's a good question you know, you, you think maybe uh did ezra reveal i mean he just said that the empire had intercepted those messages that were being sent to the rebels from so that's probably that's probably how yeah okay and then he disguises his voice and all of that you know this is uh Fulcrum. And uh, I'm calling Collect from the Empire. <laughs> Please accept these charges. So they got that going on. In the meantime, you have Rex and you have uh, Kanan. And they're on their way. They're flying through hyperspace because they're expecting these codes from the droids to give them access to the Imperial fleet to fly in in a shuttle and uh, pick up the... Uh, extract the rebels from this mission. So, but while they're flying, you know, when they come out of hyperspace, I'm immediately struck by the fact that Rex is, he sort of gasps in awe of the size of Thrawn's fleet and the Imperial fleet that's there. And so Kanan says something along the lines of, uh, fill me in, Gramps. You want to fill me in, Gramps? Now, number one, I think it's funny that Kanan calls Rex Gramps because Dave Filoni has said that Captain Rex is the rebel 
who's part of the Endor mission in Return of the Jedi. You know, you have that older rebel with the big white beard, right? Wait, he did confirm that? Yeah, he did. He did. At a, at, I think it was at Star Wars Celebration Europe. It was at one of the conventions. I want to say Star Wars Celebration Europe. He did. Yes. Really? Yes. I know there was conjecture, but I never heard it confirmed. What's funny um, is... What's funny oh, is, here's a story about it. You're right. He says he thinks so. He thinks so. Well, yeah, Dave <laughs> only put one foot through the door. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. This guy looks... I'm remembering him. This guy looks like a Nordic explorer. He doesn't look like a Maori, a rotund Maori, 80-year-old. Wait a second. No, he's not. All right. Well, I forgot about the part. I'm going to say no. I forgot. Uh, if they want to do that, fine. I guess I'll kind of accept it. I'm seeing another picture of him here. Yeah. Um, that guy's beard is not white it's blonde he looks like he's 35 he looks like a roadie for um ozzy osbourne oh my you're really peeing in the <laughs> you're really peeing in the pool right now because i was Wait going somewhere with this all right all right but, but okay so listen f- fans often referred to that rebel as gramps and so kanan calls rex gramps there you go. There's the connection. <laughs> okay. Well, look, if Dave says it, I'll accept it. Well, look, right. we've seen many other things go down in this, and we just blur it and accept it. I mean, the most glaring being like Obi-Wan's acknowledgement of the droids, or how old is Obi-Wan um, by the time he is on uh, Tatooine meeting Luke? And we just go with these things. Um, so that's cool. I mean, I forgot all clones are from New Zealand. Thanks for pointing that out too. <laughs> but you know what? It, I like this guy has a different skin color. He's very pale. He looks Scandinavian. He doesn't look like, you know, a uh, clone of Timur Morrison. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, maybe, maybe they, they change clones. They, they, they start to look a little more pale as they get older. Who knows? It's clone technology. He like leeching like Michael Jackson. <laughs> He's got vitiligo. Like, <laughs> no, no. Um, but something else that stood out to me about that moment when Kanan calls Rex Gramps is he says, you want to fill me in Gramps? And that is like one of the rare times we get reminded that Kanan is blind. I keep forgetting that he's blind because he's proven himself so capable seeing through the force that you often forget that he has that handicap. He's really grown into it and he's not feeling sorry for himself and he's actually harnessed it in a new way. And a lot of that's, you know, the great stuff that we saw him get challenged by with, um, Bogan. And I think it's, he's clever enough. He's not going to feel sorry for himself, but he's going to find a new way to see. And he's done that. And I I, I like it. And you do forget that he's blind. And then suddenly you're like, Oh wow. He does have these basic limitations. Um, but at the same time, it's opened up another path for him. So I look, I, did I ever see that coming in this series? Never. Uh, was I expecting last week Sabine to leave the group? 
albeit not permanently, but no. And I like these surprises. So you don't no. think Sabine is uh, done for good on Rebels? You think she's going to be coming back? I don't know. I mean, if she joins them, basically how they've graduated her, where she is, and what she's just claimed is important to her to focus on and the greater good she can do, it'd be hard to see her step back uh, throwing thermal detonators around, um, talking sassy with the group. It would feel like a step back. But I think we'll see her join up with them in a different way. Yes. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're just going to bring her back into it. But it feels like they've she's earned – a and grown into a place where she's reconnected with family some things she's run away from she's faced now she can assume uh and and mature and assume this new role and accept this new role and one that she was you know probably feeling like all along she was fated to do and now she sees the path forward and she has seized it and she's there she's reunited with her family she's back on her home world she can make amends uh, for the way she's perceived and whatever mistakes she's made, uh, I, it would almost come across as she's running away then from that um, that new emotional mandate, you know, mm-hmm. like that she's she's all in on. But yet we know she's so passionate about uh, these guys and this is her family for many years. So I don't think they're going anywhere in her life. I think they'll always be there. But I, I, I just don't know if she's going to show up and be like, sup, I'm back. You know? No, and I don't think that's ever I, – I think start. nothing is going to be the same way again as far as the way her character is incorporated in Rebels. Season one, you'd see her. She'd be doing art in her room, braiding Ezra's hair, you know, <laughs> like being a punk. I he did have long hair back, back then. He but did have long hair. For her to go hair. back, she would have to really go back and recalibrate yeah. the way she interacts with the team. Right. And I think they'd have to make a, a narrative jump with her. So she comes back as a new person and she said, I'm back. But suddenly they have to look at her with new eyes. They have to – it's more about them then accepting – the new Sabine while still trying to project their assumptions of old Sabine onto her. That's the narratively interesting way to do it. And suddenly she's like mature enough to go. Um, she's like, I'm not, maybe I'm not the person to rule, but we're going to find the person who is that's an, for a person to get to that point, have the saber in hand and then relinquish power. She has this self-awareness and an awareness, A, of the political system of Mandalore and a self-awareness to say, I am not the person to necessarily yet hold that saber and have that uh, position of power over my people. There are wiser people, more capable people, but I am the device to help us unify and find that person. That is an incredibly mature bit of awareness on her part. I I certainly don't think her story is done being told. I just like to see her grow up a little bit. I like the, yeah, she's great now. She's like, I I think it's great. I I still, you know, have my gripes about how she moves differently than all the other characters. She moves just more, um, with more dexterity than even a Jedi you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we talked about that. And it, it's still there. I was watching the other episode, and um, yeah, the we, last we, one. You know, we we spent um, last episode really yeah. 
talking about some of the things that we we think are kind of uh, you know a little negative about the character. But one thing's for sure, she's is great that- though. Now I, she's earned her place, and they've paid off things. And uh, I like her, and I'd like to see more with her on the show. And I, I do think if it comes back, it'll probably be her representing her family and partnering and getting bigger. And that was the groundwork they did was they said, you know, maybe we'll be bringing your family back into the fold. We're winning them over for the rebels. It's like what you'd see in the clone wars when they had to go win planets back. Well, they go when they got, they ingratiated themselves to Mandalore and she went back and inserted herself back in her family, earned, um, earned her place now graduates up and now she can bring them into the greater fight. Not as Sabine, you know, ran the, the runaway, but as Sabine, a respected leader with valuable assets behind her that help the conflict. And sure. I, that's what you'll probably see. And uh, she's definitely not done with the show. If they have a fourth season, you're going to see Sabine. Oh, of course. Uh, and she's going to be back with her, maybe her brother and Mando's, you know? The thing about Sabine, though, despite the fact that she wasn't in this episode, her presence was definitely felt because. You know, let's get right to the end of the episode. Lieutenant List, he gets set up. Callus thinks he got away with it. But Bridger gets identified by Thrawn while, of course, he's always proving himself to be the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> Grand Admiral Thrawn, not fooled. He studies the artwork on Ezra's helmet, compares it to that of Sabine's graffiti, and makes the connection just like that. And uh, so so Sabine's presence definitely being felt in this episode, despite the fact that she wasn't in this episode. Um, Callus is in big trouble now. Did you think did you think for a second that Callus could possibly die in this episode? Do you think he could have been killed off? Um, do I think like Callus? Yeah, in this episode, did you ever once while you were watching it, did you think, ooh, I wonder if Callus is going to. Be on 100%. the other end of a blaster here. You did. In this episode, you thought he was. So, I mean, it's, it's I, almost I think everything's isn't on it? the table in this. I, yeah. I think you could see. Um, I think you probably will see at some point, maybe not this season, Callus uh, meet his end. I don't know if his journey um, to crossing sides will ever come to fruition, but I know his actions will probably have positive ramifications. And there's definitely a sacrifice either way that he's going to make, whether or not he's going to get to the glory land of escaping the Imperials and and joining the rebel fray. I don't know. It's very real that he could die. And watching this, I was like, oh, wow, this could be the last callous, you know, period. I fully, fully believed and accepted that and almost was waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was going to die. I I think it's inevitable. I think it's going to happen. I thought he was going to go back to the Thrawn's quarters and then die. Ooh. But then he's let it Thrawn let him go and let the let it play out and Swan Thrawn is clever and he's gonna milk more information from him. But now that he knows who it is, he can then use it against them. And I'm sure that is gonna be a key part of how whatever the finale is, it's gonna be uh Fulcrum filtering out poor information yes. to ins- So with that with that little bit of knowledge that you just laid on us, do you think that now that Callus's position has been revealed he he is a mole. He's he's working for the rebels. He's a spy. Now that Thrawn knows this, do you think that this is going to be the thing that helps him discover Chopper Base? Because we know the rebels are going to have to move. They're already 
well-established on Yavin 4 in Rogue One. So they're going to be moving sooner or later. They're going to take off from Adelon and leave the old Bendu behind and move off to Yavin. So do you think that Thrawn will eventually find the rebel base because that's always a theme in this era of Star Wars, especially, you know, in A New Hope, you know, uh, well, we, we must find the rebel base, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's, well, Thrawn is exactly the device you would um, yes. use, yes. the character you'd use to uncover the rebel base, Absolutely. to flush them out, to propel them into the open so they can be picked off. And then I'm sure half of what's been, um, you know, corralled together gets eradicated and the rest of them survive and find a new home. Maybe it's not Yavin yet. Maybe they're on the run for a final season. And the little victory you get out of season four is that whoever does scrape to the finish line there makes it to Yavin four and they set up a base. They're down to how many fighters by the time, uh, post rogue one and going into a new hope. Um, their backs are to the wall. And I think you can set that stage with, um, with the, with another season of this show, when they say you know in Rogue One in the crawl for New Hope, the first their first victory um, against the Empire being the events of Rogue One, um, and here you see the state of it in Rogue One. That is a real indicator. That is where they're narratively building towards. Uh, if there is a fourth season, it's that. There are these political factions. Not everyone is in. Many of them don't even want to fight, even though they've been operating behind the scenes in opposition and contemplating. A lot of them didn't want to pull the trigger. It took rebels within the rebellion to catalyze this uh, movement. You know, like we talked about that before. It's like the Revolutionary War, and not a, most people in America, like thirty percent of the population, even wanted a revolution, and um, were willing to fight against the the British. It took some real agitators and upstarts, button pushers, um, to kick it off. You know, and it took coincidence too, which was just like the Boston Massacre. These things that teed it off. Um, it wasn't. It could have gone very differently, and in this case, you, you build up to this point. They're on Yavin. They know how awful they are. They hear about the super weapon, and you got a room full of people who are the at the forefront of this rebellion are still saying, "Let's not do it." Mm-hmm. And it takes you know someone motivated by a familial connection and an obligation who's been transformed by your experience in that movie to go and just do it and make the jump. And a few people to basically disobey or defect that that line of thinking to go with her and then some other people to be bold enough to stand by their conviction and go join them to like force this thing to happen so where we see this show end up could literally be seeing a a rebellion that is is pieced together not a lot left the empire has kicked their ass they've gotten to this point and now when they're you know so when the events of, of Rogue One when they're up against what now they have a like a super death machine like I, I, this can't be are you serious it's like we just barely got here um, I'd like to see that if there's a fourth season like let them get their ass kicked Empire Strikes Back style for an entire season and just find solace in the fact that they've got this jungle planet with a secret base. 
Well, you know, there is one other place they have to they have to make a pit stop before they get to Yavin. And this is what I predict if there's going to be a season four. Season four is going to feature the Rebels setting up base on Dantooine. It has to happen. I mean, I don't have well, to explain you. So you're right. You know that you're right. That's already in there. And they do say Dantooine. It's been abandoned for quite some time. So uh, you hear Mon Mothma mentioning Dantooine. So that would be the transitionary uh, planet that they go to from this one to Dantooine and then to Yavin. And speaking of Mon Mothma, she's showing up this weekend on Star Wars Rebels in the episode Secret Cargo. It's going to debut this Saturday, and uh, Genevieve O'Reilly will be back voicing Mon Mothma, Genevieve O'Reilly, who played Mon Mothma in Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One. She's now part of Rebels, and uh, I saw the episode. I I was able to see it early, and uh, I thought it was a great episode. So uh, you guys are in for a good time next week. Oh, you saw it already. Okay, that's the reference to Dantooine. That's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so you were were jumping ahead. Yeah, Yeah, you were jumping ahead just a little. Yeah, I was like blurring it all together. But I know it's already out there, and you're right, and I think that's – that's cool. Well, I, I mean, that's, yeah, it, it's it's I a good that. episode. You'll enjoy it very much. And uh, okay. so so that's what we can look for uh, this Saturday. And uh, Kyle, do you have any final thoughts on uh, through Imperial Eyes? You know, um, I love Tom Kane's back as you, Lauren. Great connective tissue to Clone Wars. Tom's the man. Uh, I think, you know, in the books and at what we know about Thrawn, he studies the art to learn about the psychology. And the concept of studying art is much easier to convey in book form. And you can get in someone's head and the analysis of it. And they do, I think, a pretty serviceable job of, of doing it here. Um, it's not, it's, like I said, it's not easy to do in an animated series. But we get the idea of what he's doing. And that's the most important thing. I think, you know, the Lothcat art was a bit of a stretch. Um, just I mean Sabine's art for whatever, whatever it's worth. It looks more like every eleven-year-old girl's trapper keeper. So <laughs> it would be that that is absolutely Sabine Wren the rebel. Uh, it's also kind of like it reminds me a bit of the sticky bandits and the wet bandits from uh, Home Alone. That they're that obvious that they well. by leaving your trademark everywhere, you basically have incriminated yourself and um, basically left a roadmap for all your heists. Uh, for to get to get pinned on um why does she do that i don't know um you know if you're trying to be clandestine about all this don't go leaving calling cards everywhere you go like the sticky bandits um uh, yeah that that stuff just is like really okay um the episode was about trust and on both sides and you know, they each, you know, you see Ezra and Callus working together and wondering, and then there's mistrust within the ranks of the Imperials, and they know there's a spy among them. And I thought, you know, there, this was a solid meditation on that, uh, as best as you can do in 22 minutes. And that's what this show is. It's always, they always do the best you can do narratively in 22 minutes, and, you know, thematically, and with the thrust of the narrative, and, and with the, the, char- the, the minimal character work you can do, it's still pretty sizable and still. Uh, very believable and and pretty honest, and you know that's a testament to you know the great little core of writers they have, and you know I think the really good directors. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I thought it was a pretty solid installment. It was a great repurposing of a of a classic character from discarded EU and one that was um, you know honorable to his 
to his essence, the spirit of him. And, and like I said, we got new dimensions to him as well. I'm excited to read the book. Uh, synergistically, it's doing what it needs to do is getting me, pushing me back into the publishing side of things. Uh, I love Star Wars books. I obviously love all formats of Star Wars. And, you know, I read it all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep reading it. All. There's nothing that'll deter me from that. I love Star Wars. I, like you said, you, you absorbed every book, you know, Everything, I, I, yes. I, I absorb it all. You know, I want to understand it. I want to know, get to the essence of what works and what doesn't. And that's, it's not negative. It's a healthy conversation to say, well, this is what I feel like works. And that's what you're doing. That's the point of what your show is here. That's the point of why we get around and we talk about Star Wars. It's the point of why we go to Star Wars celebration. That's right. It's to be around like-minded people, to get to the essence of what we love, to share what we love, and talk about sometimes what we don't love. I mean, that's that's the fun thing. And like like I said, celebration. So, Jimmy, we're getting back together. Okay, here we go. So, um, this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but I've been told to kind of keep quiet. Uh, but well, I we're think still kind of keeping quiet. We're, we're, we're I mean, not, not, not going to give yet. you guys all the details about it. But this fingers is, crossed, it's happening. This but... is the bonus for you because you've stuck with us now for uh, one hour and twenty minutes of us talking about <laughs> through Imperial Eyes. So we're going to give you guys a little exclusive information about something we have planned for Star Wars Celebration Orlando, and I, I know you're going to love it, especially if you've enjoyed the first two installments of the smuggler series. Why don't you take it from here, Kyle? So the plan is what we're hoping, you know, we're still waiting for some official confirmation, but like we announced at the last one. And also after the first one, we intended to do sequel and the sequel to the sequel. And at the end of smugglers bounty, we'd said, you know, the plan is smugglers revenge. And we've gotten a lot of the key people back and we're trying to sort it out. And, um, it is part three and, it would be Han Solo. The script is pretty much done and ready to go. And um, we're just trying to figure out all the details with it. So hopefully there'll be an official announcement soon. But it's no secret that we've been working towards this for a while. And we've always said there would be a part three. It was just a matter of when and where. And it's looking positively like Celebration Orlando will be that spot. And obviously there's many more details to come in terms of who's actually in it and what the story would be. But let's just say it would be a fantastic third part. And a, uh, I think we're going to, we would elevate the, the production, uh, considerably. It'd be bigger <laughs> and better. It's probably your, maybe the finale. We don't know. Um, because I love doing this stuff and I think everybody does too, which this also means David Collins would be back. Um, we wouldn't be replacing our anchor, our Han Solo, and he is really the heart and soul of this stuff. And Dave does just a fantastic job. If you never listened to it, you can go to StarWars.com or you can just Google Smugglers Gambit and you'll see uh, – you can listen to the full audio on StarWars.com. And Smugglers Bounty, its sequel, is out in video form. Uh, the the uh, refined audio version of it is done it's been done for a while it's just about getting it out with um officially through star wars but that you can on the star wars youtube channel you can see the whole full stage performance it kicks off right with tom kane introducing it. it takes you all the way through to the end you get the whole show but you also see it with lights and performance and uh you get the full experience and it's they they cut it you've got close-ups of everybody and wide shots and you get the whole thing as it's unfolding so that's a fun way to also see what this show actually is and it's a live audio drama it's not a table read and people are like oh it's a table read you're like no They're like it's a podcast you're like nope try again this is a live stage show they come up there 
and they perform it. There's an opening crawl. There is lighting effects. It is not a sitting around in chairs table read. No, and uh, we're we're firing off the uh, sound effects there live on stage. John Williams music cues. There are laser fights. There are spaceships. There's explosions. <laughs> there's ambience. It's all layered in there live. And it's like nothing else. And it's quite a daunting thing to do. And all of that really falls on Jimmy. And uh, this year, Jimmy hopefully is getting some help from uh, Jason. From Mr. Swank. <laughs> yes, he's going to be. Uh... Uh, we'll see. So I would say within the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear, hopefully, fingers crossed, some official announcements about this, where it'll be, when it'll be, who's involved. And that's what we're working hard to do. So for people that we promised this to, uh, know that we're doing everything we can to bring it to life at Celebration Orlando. There it I'd is. say odds are it's going to be there. Yes. So, so that's please. the third chapter of the Smuggler series. Can we tell them the name at least? Can we give them that? Well, we announced that last time too, Smuggler's Revenge. Did we announce that? Has that already been out there? I didn't. We I announced that, up. yeah, at the end of uh, Smuggler's Bounty, Tom Kane uh, announces ah, it right yes. before it goes off. That's and right. so it's always been intended. And I, I always like the idea of doing it at domestic celebrations just because you're getting that same audience back. You know, if you go to Europe, it's a whole new pool of people and some, some overlap. But the people that have stuck with this one since 2013, we did the first one in Orlando, then 2015 in Anaheim, and now 2017 in Orlando. And uh, if you've seen those first two, if you heard about them, I promise this is awesome. The script is just the best we've uh, – put together and it's going to be great it's going to be awesome i'm so excited so please please um come and please please make it happen tell your friends it's going to be fantastic (laughs) it's going to be a great time that smuggler's revenge don't miss it it's going to be happening next month in orlando at star wars celebration yeah yes this is all family thing this is um you know it's even younger audience than star wars uh rebels there's no beheadings um, <laughs> no beheadings. There's no suicide bombings. There's no murdering. Oh, really. thank God! Thank God. Um, at least not visually. Uh, so it's very, very young audience friendly. Uh, two year olds and up, I would say. Perfect. So bring your two year olds and uh, rock out with us. Smuggler's Revenge happening at Star Wars Celebration Orlando. And that will do it for our wrap-up, our discussion, our analysis of Through Imperial Eyes. Wow, what a great episode. I don't know if I really said it much during uh, our review, but I am a huge fan of this episode. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Star Wars Rebels. This episode really had a lot of the things that I love in Star Wars. Most specifically, it really was a great showcase for Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think it's his strongest episode up to this point, and I'm expecting so much more from the character as we continue to move forward with Star Wars Rebels. So I really, really, really love this episode. I was surprised at how much I liked it. I watched it like five times. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, every time I watched it, I I noticed one thing, Kyle. 
puff a pig, not in this episode. There, puff a pig. <laughs> You're right. You know what? And you know what? The last observation I think why it works so well is because all of these things have been layered in, and now they are paying off. Things like uh, Zeb, his episode with Callus when they were isolated on that planet. It could have been a one-off, but yeah. here we're seeing the fruition of it. Yes, and we're seeing how it changed this man, and how it changes maybe the trajectory and the fate of the rebellion. And that stuff you can only do with foresight and knowledge. And that's why I think it really works for me. I'm like, oh wow, okay, it's making old episodes have new meaning, and not in a way where it's like BS and they're just saying, well, now we'll look back and do it. Like it's earned. And that's what's so great about Star Wars Rebels. It's all being earned and character, character, character. So, yep, great installment. Thank you again for having me on and uh, listening to me, I guess, rattle on. Oh, no, thank you so much. I mean, Star Wars. this was the first time I actually got to sit in the big boy's chair, in the moderator's chair here for an episode of Star Wars Rebels Declassified. So I, I had a blast doing it. I feel like... Jason does such a fantastic job moderating each and every episode of Star Wars Rebels Declassified. And unfortunately, he couldn't be with us this week, as I said at the beginning of the show. But I didn't want the whole week to go by without any releases from Rebel Force Radio. So I made sure that uh, we were able to sit down and, and talk about this great episode. So I would like you. to see you. Yes. Thank you. I would like to see you one day with Jason on. Take the chair. And ask the questions because sometimes Jason gets away from answering them by throwing it out there. He does. That's his. And I'd like way. to hear Jason's mm-hmm. sometimes his answers because you know he's got to he's got to you know throw the questions around equally to the group and be like Jimmy, you answer this one. You know, yeah, FJ, yeah. do this one, or you know, Spencer, do this one. And I like to see uh, you be like, all right, Jason, season finale. Now I'm going to ask you the questions. Nice. Hey, maybe we'll turn the tables on Swank when he gets back. <laughs> Surprise him one day. Yeah, we, I've got we, the show notes here. You're answering. Oh, one more thing before we go. I'm just throwing this out there again. I, I want to throw this out there. Can someone find the early episode of Rebels Declassified from season one when I predicted that Callus would join the Rebellion? I cannot seem to find the episode. It would have to be a very early, early episode of Rebels Declassified. I think it might even be in one of the first two or three first handful of episodes. If you can find that clip, uh, send me the the, the actual show episode and uh, give me the time code where I can find that. I would greatly appreciate it. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, so- it's cool. You could also think that the reason they got a, an actor of his caliber to step into what would be, you know, the villain role is because they dangled this idea that there's an evolution yes. to your character and enlightenment and he is going to change sides and there's going to be some meaty stuff to play with. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was all cleverly anticipated with, with uh, the powers that be here and all these great writers and, and like Filoni and also, you know, Simon Kimberg who's awesome. So uh, I'm sure that was part of it and part of the pitch. And that's, that's clever of you to... Uh, project that yeah i don't know uh, there was just there was just this feeling underneath the surface about the guy to me right from the beginning and you're so you're so right david oyello is, is way more than just a one-trick pony he's a multi-dimensional actor and he deserves to have a multi-dimensional character not just some uh 
just uh, typical run-of-the-mill uh, generic Imperial. He's, he's done a lot with the character, and I've really grown to like the character a great deal, which is, now that's something I couldn't have predicted when Star Wars Rebels began, but yeah. uh, I certainly have grown to like Callus a lot. He certainly is one of the most complex and human Imperials that we've ever come across. So thanks again, Kyle, very much for joining us. Swank will be back with us next week as we talk about uh, Mon Mothma's return to Star Wars Rebels. So uh, thank you so much. I should say her debut. Uh, It seems like she's always around, but uh, now we're actually going to see her on the screen. Genevieve O'Reilly coming to Star Wars Rebels this weekend. Join us next weekend. We'll be talking about that and so much more on Star Wars Rebels Declassified. And be looking for the return of Rebel Force Radio coming to you next week. Nothing's up. Nothing's wrong. Everything's fine here. How are you? No, seriously, we're, we're doing all good here. We have received a few emails from people saying, oh, how come there's no shows, no shows? It's just because of scheduling. Uh, that's the only thing. Uh, we'll be back in full force next week to help ramp you up to Star Wars Celebration Orlando and the season finale of Star Wars Rebels. So thank you again for listening. On behalf of Kyle Newman and our regular host, Jason Swank, I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you, always.